Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. No, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh, with me, Terry Harrison, as your guy. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is Rethinking Heroes, with Carrie Harrison. Now, heroes come in many different forms. Many, as General Patton would have said, have seen the sting of battle. But the battlegrounds have expanded from physical soil to cyberspace, to politics, to school shootings, to climate change, and the literal collapse of democracy. Famous civil rights attorney Carrie Love, that's Carrie with a K, recently wrote that Putin's war of aggression against Ukraine is a war crime. Although the NATO expansion, he says, an apparent effort to encircle Russia on its western border with new NATO members, despite the promise of the Bush number one administration not to do so, and we have covered that many times in the past here on Rethinking Heroes, despite the Bush one administration saying we will never, never do that, that's no defense to the crime of the Russians. Mr. Love continues, in fact, aggressive war or a war of invasion is the ultimate war crime, according to the Nuremberg Tribunal and the U.S. prosecutor, Justice Jackson. This civil rights attorney has written repeatedly in Counterpunch and Muckrack and other brave journalist organizations how Trump can be charged, tried and convicted for his January 6th Capitol speech alone, just speech, all under the solicitation statute, as no acts are required at all. Just talking about a crime where an objective hearer, an objective hearer, would reasonably believe that the speaker was serious. Apparently, a few hearers of that speech went to the Capitol and did precisely what the former president solicited. But as attorney Love glibly points out, another former president famously said, quote, when the president does it, it's not a crime. And how often do I get to quote the great Richard Milhouse Nixon anyway? Another famous attorney and a guest we've had here on Rethinking Heroes several times, the professor Francis Boyle, who teaches international law at the University of Illinois, was also the author of the Biological Weapons Convention ratified by Congress under the same George Bush I. He points out that historically, Trump's brown shirt coup d'etat of January 6, 2021, reminds him of Hitler's brown shirt Munich Beer Hall Putsch of 1923, which did fail, but 10 years later, Hitler was the Chancellor of Germany and terminated the Weimar Republic. And right now, the United States of America is slouching toward the Weimar Republic. Compared to that, Trump's indictments for paying hush money to a porn star and mishandling classified documents are mere sideshows. So where will it all end? Where is it all obviously going? Well, with us right here on Rethinking Heroes is a Polish school teacher born in 1975, the Poland that was then under the complete Soviet control. Her name is Isabella, and I'm going to say your last name so wrongly, and you can smack me. Svierczyk? Svierczyk. Svierczyk. Yes, you're good. Oh, I was close, huh? Yeah, very close. She's lived in Poland her whole life, experienced communism from birth until 1989, when the transition to democratic system came about in Eastern Europe. On one day, she only knew what the Soviets had told her her whole life. On the next day, her history teachers were suddenly revealing a different history. The same history you and I might have been taught. Could any of that be true, she wondered. 
How could propaganda have been so effective? Who knew what was actually true? Well, Isabella Schwierczyk then witnessed years of political and social transformation in Poland and Germany while traveling to Eastern and Western Germany as an exchange student and now works as a German and English teacher leading European school projects with schools across Europe, East and West, including countries from former Soviet blocs like Lithuania and Latvia, Bulgaria, Romania, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. And is here with us right now in our Radio M studios in the International School of Institute Montana, above the town of Zug, Switzerland. And I want to welcome you, Isabella Svircek, to Rethinking Heroes. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yes, we are Such glad nice to be able to experience. Yes, right. It's your first time yes. on radio. That's right. And you are on the famous public radio station in Los Angeles, the number one. And uh, you're here because you're going to tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up under communism, seeing as we have Viktor Orban in Hungary, we have all kinds of crazy governors of Florida, they're calling it now the free state of Florida, banning books like it's 1933 Berlin. I mean, a lot of stuff that for us is sort of mystical, or maybe we fought a war over some of this stuff, but most people don't have the real life experience but you do. What was it like growing up under communism? Was it was it as cool as it looks like on TV or was it not so fun? Well, I don't think it was as cool as you would understand it nowadays. Uh, so I've been growing up in uh, communist Poland. As you said, I was born in Poland in 1975. And until the transformation came in 1989, at that time, I was 15 years old, almost, and um, that was the moment when I entered high school, and that was exactly the year of transformation, and in course of literally four months, we got quite amazing new information from my history teacher, for example. So uh, the elementary school in Poland at that time lasted eight years. So I ended up eighth grade. And after the summer holidays, when I entered the high school, uh, the transition came basically. And we got a new young history teacher. And he was allowed to tell us the truth, the historical truth. But you knew, or you thought at the time, how come I never heard this before? And how do I know that what he's saying is actually true since my whole life previous to this moment has been all lies and propaganda? Yeah, that was exactly what we were asking ourselves, me and my friends in class, because uh, growing up under the regime, uh, you're scared all the time, basically. You don't know what you can say, when you can say, if you can say it at all. So hearing suddenly a teacher telling you different facts he claims true was pretty scary. And uh, we didn't know if we should repeat it, if we should tell that to our parents. So it took some time until we realized that a new reality is coming. And that we should be able to trust, that we should learn trusting, we should be open and uh, try to adjust to a new situation. Mentally, it was quite a new reality for us. We're talking right now to Isabella Schwierczek. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com, coming to you live in remote broadcast from neutral Switzerland. 
And one of the benefits of being here right here right now, because we go the extra lengths any way we can to bring you that which you cannot get on your own. That is the job of journalism. That is the job of what every radio station that carries this believes in, is doing the impossible and making the impossible happen for you. That's why we have this woman who grew up in Poland under communism explaining to us what the experience was like, as many people in the Deep South now cannot read certain books, they cannot say certain things, they cannot be LGBT, they cannot acknowledge that slavery even existed in the United States of America, e pluribus unum. King George III of England was the one who brought all the slaves over for his productivity, but you'd think it never happened, at least if you live in places like Florida and now Alabama and Louisiana. So it's actually a big deal. And many people are wondering, am I living in a weird dream? But we're talking to Isabella Schwierczyk, who actually lived that dream, but it wasn't a dream. How does propaganda work when you're growing up in that with information? So as a child, as a teenager, of course, you don't know that that's what it is, propaganda. It's actually you're growing up in this environment. You're watching like only three channels on TV, one channel with news that are controlled by the government, by the party. So you're not aware that you're living the propaganda life, but still you sense something is not uh, the way it should be. You feel controlled. You feel like you're not allowed to do many things. Uh, you basically have no opportunity to go whenever you want to. You have difficulty to get a passport, to go abroad. Like, for example, my parents actually have never been abroad, like maybe living close to the Czech border. Once my father went to the Czech Republic, or Slovak, Slovakia. So um, it's a different life. And so I, I have not been traveling at all until I was basically 16 years old because of that difficulty to getting a passport and having enough money to be able to travel. And as a child, as I said, you, you don't see it as a barrier, but growing up, you sense something is not going the way it should be. And especially for me, when the transformation came, I was aware that something important is coming in my life, that something is changing. Suddenly, I was allowed to learn other languages than Russian. I was allowed to start learning English and German and, and French, and I was allowed to travel. So basically, in the first years after the transformation came, I got the chance to go to Western Germany. It was a different world for me. I remember one special situation going up to a German mall was like a new reality for me. Uh, because in Poland, you obviously could not buy many items. There was basically nothing let's, in the let's shops. Let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. that's really interesting. Many of us, we, we didn't grow up in uh, Soviet-occupied Poland, which happened around 1939, and I guess they liberated you, and that was the official story, and you sat through all that liberating for so many decades, feeling so liberated, Yet, if you went in to buy, let's just say bread, something we all eat, could you in America or in Germany, you can walk into the supermarket and there's 58 kinds of bread. There's white bread, there's pumpernickel, there's rye, there's this, there's that, with seeds, without seeds, with, you know, lactose free, uh, no glycogens, whatever. 
Was it like that for you? Did you go in and say, wow, I'm mesmerized by so many choices of bread under the Soviet system? So telling you about the story about my first visit in Western Germany, like going to a shop, uh, to a mall uh, that we didn't have malls at that time in Poland, uh, like seeing all those products. I still remember the question that I had in my head, like, um, why do people here have so many things in the shop? And what do they need all those things for? So in yeah. Poland, you didn't have all those things in the shop. No, I remember like two situations that are stuck in my mind. Like one, for example, during my summer holidays, uh, I had to go to a shop to stand in a line to buy bread for our family because it was like they brought the bread like twice a day in the shop and you have to wait for it to buy it. And the second situation I remember clearly, and this is really true, uh, like my father had to wake up uh, very early in the morning, like sometimes around four o'clock, five o'clock to go to a special shop to buy meat because meat was a very rare product to get. And meat is a generic word because it sounds like it could be anything that comes from an animal. Are you talking about yes. like beautiful sirloin steaks and lobster when you say meat? Or are you saying we don't know what it is? I had no idea at that time what a lobster was. <laughs> so it was basically a piece of meat, beef or chicken or pork, like normal meat. So those two situations I remember from my childhood, then in the end of 80s, uh, like coming closer to 1990, it, it was much better. But then the real political and economical transformation came. So in the early 90s, we got more and more uh, in the shops and uh, slowly, slowly we could buy more and choose more variety of products. But that took, I would say, like about 10 years after the transformation yeah. to really experience this economical change. So now I can really appreciate the reality I live in right now. It's a pleasure having a, a school teacher on because you can read, write, and think, which is something that we all value so much, especially nowadays. It's illegal in some states, but we're still rooting for it. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about how Isabella Svircek views the future, having grown up under communism, now, of course, having enjoyed so many years of freedom, but watching the world feel maybe uh, familiar again in some ways. For us, it's still a bit of a mystery. We're trying to figure it all out. But where does she predict this might go? Then after that, we have, because we're in neutral Switzerland right now, we have uh, some extraordinary access and some amazing people. We're going to br be bringing on a former Syrian officer who deserted under Assad after being given orders to do unimaginably terrible things. He escaped and then was captured by Al-Qaeda, and they discovered a special secret, and he suffered, but he is alive and here to tell you that story so that you can understand what that looks like as well as we round out the different heroes who are standing up for freedom, who have survived things that are unimaginable, right here on Rethinking Heroes. Preventing Truth Decay. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison rethinkingheroes.com and it is rethinking heroes carrie harrison with you don't forget you can opt in for our free newsletter where you're going to get a transcript 
and other things that we simply cannot do on the radio, but uh, some also, uh, let's just say, behind-the-scenes information. Just simply go to RethinkingHeroes.com. It's as simple as that. And become a free subscriber now. Also, make sure you like and follow us. God, I sound like a YouTube person. But make sure you like and follow us across all the social media of your choice and the podcast platform of your choice because we're there 24-7 so that you can hear and rehear this at your leisure. We're talking right now to Isabella Schwiercek. She is a school teacher. She has taught in all the former Soviet blocs. She grew up under Soviet-occupied Poland, occupied since 1939. It sounds like a brand, doesn't it? Since 1939. And then, of course, the wall came down famously in Berlin at the same time. There were freedoms in the Czech Republic, former Czechoslovakia, uh, Poland, and other places opened up. We knew about Valencia and, and other things that had gone on in Poland. We had watched that on CNN at the time, which yes. was kind of this fledgling new network. But CNN means to you something different from what it means to me, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I can imagine. Uh Actually, when I was 15 years old and transitioned to high school, I started learning English relatively late, actually. And I started learning English with CNN. So but that they, was the they're, moment. they're not there teaching English. <laughs> You're like watching a foreign language and starting to understand it. Yes, that's right. So that was the moment when we got the chance to watch different channels, different TV channels from Great Britain, from the U.S., from Germany. And I started learning English watching CNN from the satellite TV. I was just listening to the language, trying to understand. At the same time, learning English at school as well. So that was uh, a way of deepening my language skill. And that was also the way to learn about the U.S. and the world, because I was so much craving to travel. I was craving to see the world. I was craving to meet other people. And that's why I wanted to learn foreign languages and English in particular. And CNN taught me about the world at that time. Well, and that was back in the Ted Turner days. I think today it'd be really hard to say that statement without a few chuckles in the room. However, I agree and remember that era where uh, CNN really was uh, trying to be really objective and do hard news and there was no Nancy Grace and none of this silly nonsense and giggling and it was necessary to have this news channel. Let's take a look uh, as we wrap up this conversation with Isabella Schwiercik. That's right. You're right. Good for me. You're good. Uh, she's from Poland. She grew up under the communist mantle, uh, lived all the way through the transition and was reflecting on what it was like to grow up under communism, something that is eerily reflective in many of the severe right-wing uh, political groups that are emerging, even in Germany today. Here we go again. Oh, what fun. Then, you know, you have sort of neighboring Hungary within the next couple of countries. You have, even in the U.S., these extraordinary governors and governments that just seem a bit shocking. And let's take a look at where do you see all this going? We have Russia, Ukraine, we have Weltanschauung, using one of your German words, as we are live in Switzerland right now. Where do you see this unfolding, having watched this before? Well, I see those patterns in my country as well, in living in Poland, especially for the last uh, eight years. I don't want to be 
like going very deeply politically, but we have a right-wing government and I can only judge from a perspective of a teacher. Well, I recognize some of the patterns living in the communist country, like control, censorship, just to speak of two basic things. I'm optimistic. I've been through this transformation from communism to democracy. I've been through the transformation my country went through in 2004, joining the European Union. So that was another big step for us. And every time something like that happens, you have to stay optimistic. So even with the war basically playing out at my doorstep, because I live very close to, relatively close to the border with Ukraine, I stay optimistic. I guess it's uh, like the, the last chance also for the Ukrainian people to get what they really deserve. And last year when the war broke out, uh, believe it or not, I was in America, in Florida. I was going back to Poland the moment when the bro war broke out. So I was coming back home knowing that there is a war there. And we didn't know what's going to happen because it was so close to Poland that we really had no idea. So I was a bit scared, I have to say. Uh, but starting in March, we've been helping the Ukrainian people. There were so many kids coming even to my school. In my town, we had to create classes for, for the kids from Ukraine. We had to help in any way possible. So we were not involved in the conflict officially, but somehow we were, and we still are. We're talking to Isabella Shvircek. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Isabella is teaching school uh, right now, actually in Switzerland, in a neutral country, but also teaching in many of the former Soviet bloc countries and offering enlightenment and language skills and all these wonderful things that she developed really on her own because many of them were forbidden before the fall of the Berlin Wall, which is how we look at the big transition that she's talking to. When we look at Russia, Ukraine, we call it an invasion because we're dumping a lot of money supporting Ukraine with that. You having lived under communism and Soviet Russia at the time, would you consider this an invasion or are they just liberating Ukraine the way they had liberated Poland? So this is, of course, my personal opinion. This is an invasion. It has been an invasion on Crimea before. And the same is happening with Ukraine now. Yes, I agree. Well, more will be revealed on that. And I want to thank you so much for coming in. Uh, a giant act of bravery. And for many of us Americans who only know vaguely from history books, documentaries, a little kiss of Netflix here and there, sort of what life might have been like. But for us, it's a theoretical proposition. It's what happened to other people. We've read Orwell, but surely that could never happen. And here it is today. Big Brother is in your pocket. It's called your iPhone. It's called your droid. All the smart appliances, your refrigerator, uh, your microwave oven, everything, the, the light switches that go on and off when you talk to Amazon Alexis, we are being uh, monitored 24 hours a day. It just doesn't look the same way 
but many of us are sort of wondering how to understand it. So I appreciate your expertise and your eyewitnessing of what you've been through and for having joined us today on Rethinking Heroes. I would like to thank you to give me the chance of speaking of my modest experience. Thank you. Well, we love Europeans. So polite, so understated, right? Listen. Well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. And it is Rethinking Heroes. Carrie Harrison with you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our free newsletter where we'll give you a full transcript of this broadcast, plus a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you won't get access to, like photos. We have people from all over the world here as we come to you live right now from Switzerland. We're coming from a private school up on a mountain, the same one that John Kerry happened to go to. And we're here surrounded by 23 different nations participating in your Rethinking Heroes program right now and able to bring you extraordinary people for this one time only. There'll also be full video of this conversation, which you're going to get if you opt in for the newsletter. Plus, of course, we will post it and stream it on Facebook with this very radio station so that you can watch it there uh, whenever you'd like. A Turkish newspaper has reported that Washington intends to deploy around 2,500 more new troops, this time to northern Syria. Tom Hartman, who we all love, what a great historian and researcher. He was talking recently about drought and sort of the history of why Syria happened the way it did. And a lot of it had to do with climate change. Now, that's not something you would intuitively know. But when farmers in northern Africa have been farming for thousands of years and there's suddenly a big drought, well, they have to go move and find a new place to do farming. The problem is, your grandmother is buried in the backyard and your great-grandfather and your great-great-great-great-great-grandmother and you have a history of a thousand years. You don't just get up and move necessarily. And then we're talking tens of thousands of people. And this causes a giant migration, all of which originally stemming from climate change. Now, this is Tom Hartman's opinion. We may have a different viewpoint or probably will in just a second. But he goes on to say that one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin helped Assad and bombed the diddly out of some 100,000 people was there are deep water ports off of Syria, which now contain 25 Russian battleships. And to have an Arab Spring because of all this dislocation of people suddenly getting together, suddenly coalescing the people, well, you can't have that if you're running a big military port. So that military port is still a military port. That said, I want to introduce to you David. David comes from uh, both Armenia and I believe Iran at the same time. Yeah. And you were an officer in the military in Syria. And you were given orders by Assad to go do terrible things, which you decided not to do. But tell us first, here you are, a sergeant in the military. You're training to be a general, but you came in late because you were a student. Yeah. And then you're told to go kill a bunch of people and you decide not to. Well, that's not the right answer, is it, for Assad? It started with me when it's beginning this war in Syrian. And my father, he called me and he just said to me, don't kill anyone. Because uh, even if you die, it's okay, but you cannot kill anyone because you cannot, after you live na- normal, or that, uh, your life is normal, it will be normal. And uh, here, already I think so much, how can uh, I go out from here? I run away. 
from this big war. Uh, how can I live my life? Because I cannot escape. I have so much problem there. Here, I have with my general. I am his uh, right hand. We yes. say right hand. You know, yeah, we say that he the, Yeah, he's the big one there. And I can have everything. I am not big, but I am almost the big one because he's the first one and he can give me so much things. You can do that. You can do that. You can make what you want. Here I say to him, then I pay to him so much money to say to him, can I have just a little holiday? And he said to me, no, you cannot, yeah, no, you cannot have because we have now uh, war and it's not normal if you have holiday and I cannot be alone without you because I just truth you because we have a couple of Muslim people there. Uh, it's have uh, meet uh, Assad, it's uh, high uh, name uh, at Alawiya and Sunni Muslim. Yes, it's two parts, Sunni, you know? right. And he don't believe it anyone because every time he be afraid to someone, he come to kill him or, you know, then he trusts because I, he trusts someone because I am not Arabian. You know? So he trusted you because you were not Arabian. And he know me so much. He know how much I am clear or I am serious and I am good person. He, he and, can, and his he, right man, right hand man, which means he relies on you and he trusts you. Because uh, he's uh, try too much with me something. I don't know what he make it. He told me you are good one and you will be my uh, right hand and you will be here the first one. Okay. And I was uh, the first really. I can go. I stay at my home every three months. I come just to a week from there. Yeah. I'm staying in the military. And after when it's the beginning this war, he told me you should to come. And I stay like one month and I come back. And after when I, my father, it start be too much. And uh, this uh, Assad start to kill people. And all the army go out to kill people on children. And my father, he say to me, you cannot make anything. I say, yes, I, this might, I cannot kill anyone because if I kill, I cannot sleep because it's something so bad. When I'm see, I'm cry. Sometimes now I wear these glasses because yes, I, can I see cannot that. cry, you know. So, so David is wearing sunglasses right now, which also, because this is very emotional. And he was an officer in the Syrian military, defected when Assad ordered him to go kill women and children. And so you did. You found a way to escape. Yes, I buy too much to my post and he told me, okay, you can go like uh, stay one month and you come back. Here... I'm go to uh, my city. It's Aleppo. My father was so sick and already he's dying. I'm go there and I'm arrived. He's dying. Before he dying, he said to me, you must to run away from all the Syrian. You cannot stay here. I say, yes, I promised. And when he's dying here, I'm say goodbye for everywhere, for every places I am born, for every places I like it, for all that. Because you're leaving forever. Yeah, and for all friends, a neighbor, you yeah. know. And I'm saying this, I know this uh, moment is the last time for me I can see these places. I can say, and I will miss, I know that. Here I go to uh, Afrin, it's for my mother, Kurdish place for my mother village. It's uh, everyone there. It's was the Kurdish people, and meet Kurdish all the customs meet, yeah. and languages. And I'm just going to speed this up a little bit because we're just up against the clock, which is the problem of having a one-hour show. 
is you have to try to make it all fit. I'm just going to reintroduce you. We're talking to David. He's a former Syrian military officer who, when ordered by Assad to kill women and children, decided to defect. We just learned that he did. Let's go right to the part where you get away and then you're recaptured by Al-Qaeda. Yeah, what happened with me here? Um, in Afrin, we have this border. It's, uh, I shoot to go out in this border uh, to go to Turkai. Yeah. Turkey, Turkey, yes. and after uh, Turkey, I will be. I can be, come to Europe because we can not fly there. In right. is, uh, so you're going to get to Europe through Turkey. Yeah, and here it's uh, when I'm go to border. It's count uh, like uh, a Nusra part of Al Qaeda. He take it my phone or take it everything about he me. Took and, your iPhone. Yeah, and uh, when it's my, he put it something like USB or something, uh-huh. and he see photos naked or there's text for a sexy photo for everyone. It's have, I am young boy. I have you understand something in my phone. Yes. And these people say to me, "You are not Arabian. You are not Muslim. Then we will kill you, or that you will you are die. We should to know about you so much." And he put it something, uh, a black in my a head. Hood? A yeah. black hood over your head. Yeah, and just it's, I see someone, it's hit me, and they I, were beating I, you. Yeah, on something so bad was so 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 bad. Now let me ask you: these photos, it seemed like these particular photos in your phone were different from the photos they might have seen in someone else's phone, because they were reacting maybe differently. You know, it's uh, normally I have uh, naked photos. Yeah. When you shot me, someone. Or that you have shot, you send, you know, yes. and it's everybody have in life. Okay. It's normal. I yes. And these people. He's... I can neither confirm nor deny that I have any naked pictures <laughs> on my phone. And not naked, naked. It's meet uh, short. But these yeah, people, uh, if you be meet uh, a normal picture, yeah. it will be, ah, you are not. Because yeah, and, and, and this is all kind of that we're familiar with. Yeah. So it's all about religion. It's all about following the rules. Exactly. And they probably want to make an example of you in front of of all the other people is here you're a guy you're not like them you came from syria you got away you have naked pictures so does that mean they want to kill you at some point yes because these people think i am uh, it's an uh, enemy of uh, kurdish people on armenian on every nationality another nationality in uh, syrian yeah. because these people if you are not 100% arabian or muslim then you are not you are, because these people is take it, it's bad idea of kurdish people or their army or another uh, people in syrian they say be, when you are not arabian then you are not real muslim and then i have so much problem with these people on uh, what it happened I see so much criminal people there, not from Syrian, from Lebanese. It's uh, the big head from Al-Qaeda. He was from Lebanese. And So not 100% Arabian, not 100% maybe Muslim. Yeah. He, and, and Armenians, by the way, are Christian. A lot of them. Yeah. Uh, my father, my grandfather, he was Ar- Armenian, but my father, we are, we be after all Kurdish because yeah. you married meet Kurdish people you know that yeah. and this happened with me it's something bad because I'm so in Syria I see so much bad things in my life it's so much people new people from Saudi Arabia it's come for it's not mine's is not from Syrian you understand me it's difficult we don't have this communication together because he's from Lebanon and he wants money if you give me money post money you can go out how so much you Al-Qaeda? want so in Syria, they wanted money. They would take yeah. bribes. 
and you would be able to do things. It sounds like Al-Qaeda is also open to taking money, despite this fake ethics that they have about being so highly disciplined and so religiously bent. It seems like everyone is open to changing their opinion with enough money. And here, uh, I don't have anything because I lost everything. And just my sister married some rich man, mm -hmm. and he helped me, he buy everything. And uh, this Al-Qaeda say to me, you have just two months to stay here. After two months, if you stay here, you will die. I have two months just to go out of this place. How can I do? I uh, know just some colleague there, some friends. He helped me for that. And someone, uh, he's from Al-Qaeda, from Anusra. This person, he helped me to go out. I paid for him like uh, $3,000. You, you paid him $3,000. Yeah, just he can help me to go out uh -huh. and he do that. But I I live with him. He place. It's military place for yeah. Al-Qaeda. I live one month there. It's horrible. I have depression. I is I get a depression because all the criminal people and I'm afraid and it's horror, horrible, horrible faces, you know, horrible people. Someone, he said to me, I have two sons. It's dying. It killed himself with the uh, American army. I don't know because of, it's ISIS. And I am ISIS. happy. Yeah, I'm yes. happy because my son is dying. Now it's going in paradise. And when I say his face, he don't have feelings. Sorry for his children. When it's killed, his, uh, you understand me. I'm saying how much these people, it's black. How much it's uh, don't have this uh, white hair on, you know, some it's for example if i am make something wrong night i cannot uh, sleep yeah i think about this wrong why i do that night not does not good then uh i must to make something to make this wrong something better because i don't you understand it i do i'm going to reintroduce you quickly if you're just joining us here at the end we are talking to david he is a former military officer with the syrian army when Assad ordered him to slaughter women and children. He found a way to defect. He was able to escape, and then he was captured by Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda uh, put black hoods on him, beat him, tortured him, found in his iPhone the kind of pictures that some of us may or may not have in our phone. They found those pictures not only inappropriate, but opprobrious. Basically, using him as an example, told him he had two months to live if he couldn't figure out a way to escape, which is code of come up with a lot of cash and we may let you go. Al-Qaeda, as he was living there for that time, he discovered were nothing more than a bunch of thugs and criminals. Not a bunch of lovely religious people trying to do good in the world, but a bunch of just psychotic animals. And he had to live with them, but he did find a way to escape by paying a friend $3,000, who then, and let's cut right to that, what was the rescue like for you? What did that look like? Uh, these people. Uh, you're, you're with Al-Qaeda. Yeah. This guy comes in with money and weapons yeah. and helps you escape. Yeah. What he is that like? Help me. He'd uh, make for me the paper. It's not the read paper. I am someone from Turkey. And I'm going... It's a fake document. Yeah. Say you're Turkish. Yeah. And after I go to Istanbul, mm -hmm. my sister was there. She's... Uh, wait for me and i don't believe i am with my family you know i just cry i have two weeks i stay alone i'm stay in my room 
I don't talk with anyone. I had the big depression on after I can come to Switzerland. It's nice to me. And I should to say here, thank you for Switzerland on the government of Switzerland on the really, really, I cannot say how much I am happy now because I cannot see these faces again. I cannot uh, be, I cannot live with these people because these people, it's more than bacteria. You understand? It's so much danger. Did you see more than bacteria? Or, because or, yeah. it's so creamy people. Like uh, before we watch this movie, The Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we see these people, how much is ugly. Yes. Then this other, this Al-Qaeda, this part of Al-Nusra, yeah. Al-Qaeda, it's more ugly than these people, the, this uh, movie, you know? Yeah. Because really, it's so much dangerous. Really, it's everything, blood, everything, war. It's dangerous. It's not normal. We are regrettably out of time. The good news is, is that we're going to have more of this stuff available online. You can certainly get our free newsletter by going to RethinkingHeroes.com. And you'll see photos, thanks to Lloyd. Lloyd, where are you from? You're, are you Swiss? Half Swiss, half Russian. I mean, we have the whole planet right here in this room today. And the government of Switzerland has given you asylum here so that you can have a new life and you can hear from the heart of David. He just wants to do good stuff. Uh, so there are really good military people out there, just like there are not so good ones. He's one of the good ones, and he has survived Al-Qaeda and was here today to tell you about it. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to thank uh, Isabella from Poland, who talked about what it was like growing up under communism and what the world looks like today eerily to some of us who uh, were not there but are kind of wondering where is it all going to go. She has a hopeful message that things are going to work out well, so I'm going to go with that personally. Also, a pleasure meeting you, David, uh, what you've been through with Assad, with Syria, uh, defecting, being captured by al-Qaeda, being tortured, escaping, and now living in a neutral country of Switzerland with asylum, which is also the same country that has let us come here live from one of the schools up in the Alps called Institute Montana, which is devoted to living, learning, evolving, um, higher education, inspiration, freedom of speech, all the things that you and I value together all of us here as the world, 23 nations sitting here right now, participating in Rethinking Heroes. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We very much look forward to seeing you next week. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. Listen, well, it's still legal. I make Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com.